BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. We bring you the story today about the next generation nicotine product, Zin. If you're over, let's say, 25, there's a lot to learn. The tobacco companies have long been master marketers, the Marlboro Man, Joe Camel, all the things that came before that. But those were figures of a different era, a billboard and broadcast era, and things are much weirder and memeier now. This might be how a young person gets introduced to this product in a TikTok. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could rip upper deckies in his upper decky lit pillows for We'll explain, I promise, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This morning, we're exploring the intersection of two newish things in this world. One, Zin, is a new nicotine delivery system. It's not a cigarette. It's not quite the chew or dip that surrounded me as a kid. It's a little white pouch of nicotine powder. The other component of this story, as pulled together by Emily Dreyfus for a new essay in The New York Times, are the ways that this product is bouncing around social media. In particular, TikTok and its Instagram knockoff reels. This is a world of influencers, big and small. And man, they are wired directly into the attentional circuits that send views pinging around the earth. And they, too, have noticed Zinn helps them do numbers in one way or another. Here to walk us through this world, we've got Emily Dreyfus, the author of Our Kids Are Living in a Different Digital World and co-author of the book Meme Wars. The Untold Story of the Online Battles Upending Democracy in America. Welcome back, Emily. Thank you so much, Alexis. Happy to be here. So your article introduces this nicotine product, which probably a lot of people haven't heard of. Maybe some have. What is what is Zin? So it's interesting. Zin is itself um, this thing called a nicotine pouch, and it contains synthetic nicotine. So there's no tobacco product in it. Um, which makes it very confusing from a regulatory perspective. But for our um, listeners to understand, the government in America now considers anything with nicotine to be a tobacco product. So tobacco uh, rules apply. Got it. Uh, it's like it, ultra processed tobacco. It's like, it's like the me- high fructose corn syrup <laughs> of the tobacco world. It's frankly like like you can make it in a big vat. Like it's soup. It comes in a lab. It's much cheaper to make. You don't need a tobacco crop. Um and it was made by a Swedish company and was very big uh, over in Sweden for years until Philip Morris International purchased that company last year. 
because that Philip Morris International and other big tobacco companies are trying to get away from smoking. They're trying to make a push into, quote unquote, smokeless tobacco products. This is because of, A, all of the pushback against smoking and the understanding of the terrible health effects of smoking, but also because they've noticed that young people, Gen Z in particular, are not interested in smoking. So if they're going to get young people to use their products, they need different products. Hmm. And this Zin is Philip Morris International's big investment in a nicotine pouch. Hmm. It's kind of funny, you know, like when there's an era when all oil companies were saying they were, no, 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 we're an energy company. Exactly. This is like tobacco companies being like, no, 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 we're a nicotine company. Exactly. <laughs> what we do. Um, so I assume if, you know, Philip Morris International, a large international conglomerate, is doing this, I mean, this is a legal product, right? This is legal for at least adults to use. So very interesting question, Alexis, um, that does not have an easy answer, actually. Uh, technically, according to the FDA and lawyers that I spoke with for this story for The New York Times, Zinn would be qualified as an illegal product in the U.S., and that is because it does not have authorization from the FDA. Hmm. Hmm, right? But it is for sale all over the place. And I mean, I had not heard about it until I started researching this story. I'm 40 years old. Uh, even though the Philip Morris International says that the, you know, the average age of a Zen customer is 39 years old, on the internet and in my life, the people who have heard of it are all much, much younger. Um, and so what I started noticing it once I'd heard about it, that it's everywhere. It's at the 7-Eleven by my house. Mm -hmm. It's at every gas station. So why would a product that's technically not legally allowed to be sold be for sale? Um, that gets us into this in absurd gray area that we have been in since Juul, since the vaping, since new forms of nicotine delivery have become popular. And that is that the FDA is required to authorize these products. But there are so many of them flooding the market and asking for authorization that the FDA and other regulators are really overwhelmed with going through the hmm. applications, frankly. And so the what Philip Morris International told me when I asked them point blank, like, how come you, if you don't have authorization to be sold to anyone in the US, why are your products for sale? And their explanation was that because... Their explanation was like, come on. <laughs> they had a really technical explanation. And frankly, like as a side note to this story, I want to say that in researching this product and why it was popular online and why kids were seeing it so much more than adults, I do need to mention like very, very clearly, Philip Morris International spokesperson went on the record with me and gave me very clear answers the entire time. Mm -hmm. Whereas the U.S. government regulators were much more suspect in their answers. Yeah. and But most of all, the worst of all, were the tech companies who I kept mm. asking, how come these mm. you know things are getting into our kids' algorithms? Why are they seeing it? And I have to say, from a, from a journalist's perspective, I was really shocked to see that it was a tobacco company that was being much more transparent. Mm. Um, and so this answer that Philip Morris International gave me was, was basically corroborated um, by regulators, but they wouldn't didn't want to say it exactly this way themselves. Hmm. Um, but it was that this product was for sale on the market before the government gave the FDA the prerogative to authorize this kind of product. For a while, this kind of product fell in a total gray area where mm. it didn't need to be authorized at all. Um, and there's lots of products like that that you'll see. You know, go to, you go to a smoke shop and there's yeah. like weird THC derivative products that 
there's no rules about so they can be sold. This was kind of like that. Like there were no rules about it. So it was being sold. Then Philip Morris International put in this official application for authorization with the FDA, along with you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of other companies that put in these similar authorizations. And so PMI was allowed to keep the product for sale while the FDA considers whether it should be legal. Uh, so they grandfathered in, in. Exactly. Sense. Yeah. Um, OK, let's return to the little bit that we played at the top. Um, it, all right, let's just listen to the cut because it's kind of funny. Very strange. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could rip upper deckies in his upper decky lit pillows for death? I mean, Emily, what's going on here? So, Alexis, do you know what an upper decky lit pillow is? I figured it out. It's a zinny, <laughs> yes. which is a zin, which is a nicotine pouch. Um, but yes. before, before the, any of this, I did not know what that was. Who, who, what is, whose voice is that? Okay, so that is the voice of a content creator um, who went by the handle Freezer Tarps on TikTok until he was kicked off of TikTok when I asked TikTok about his account. Um, I should say up front, my goal for my story for this story was not to get him kicked off of TikTok. But when I asked TikTok if his account violated their policies, they weren't sure if it did, but did decide to kick his entire account off. Um, so he is a guy, he's a um, young 20-something-year-old uh in Florida, who has for the past couple of years been making nonstop TikTok content devoted to this product, Zen. Now, he and, and what he's saying there is upper decky lip pillows and this really kind of sing song, um, catchy phrase that is everything that you want out of a meme. It's memorable. It's weird. It's an inside joke for people who know what those words are. They're like, oh, yeah, that guy gets it. And for people like you and me who've never heard of it, we have no idea what it is. We just scroll right past it. So this guy spent, uh, you know, his every single day making this kind of content, celebrating this kind of product. And, and a lot of his content was this kind of songs, but also Often he would be impersonating being a kid in school. So like a middle schooler taking a test or a high schooler who's so unable to focus on his ACT test because he's having nicotine withdrawal. Um, so the entire account of Freezer Tarps was really devoted to the celebration and um, yeah, dissemination of memes about this product and other pouches like it, but specifically Zen and targeted to an audience who are students. I mean, the, the content was about how to get the, you know, why a Zin would be easier to get past your teacher. It's not it's not as telltale as a vape. Um, and and what really interested me was when I started researching what are teenagers seeing online that I'm not seeing. My next door neighbor, who was a teenager, was like, do you know what a Zimbabwe is? No. And the truth was that I had actually just figured it out because I had just found this guy online. And a Zimbabwe is a meme for Zin that was coined or at least popularized by this content creator. And we can get into why would he want to do that. Um, yes. I mean, so Philip Morris International. I mean, this is the, the obvious question that we should clear up right away. PMI, Philip <laughs> uh, Morris. They're not paying this man money. No, they're not. Um, they're not. They say they're not. He's told me on um, a brief LinkedIn chat that he responded to that he's not being paid by them. And it's it's shocking, honestly, because the comments on all of his posts are like, oh, you know, sponsored content like, oh, man, get that money. 
Um, and a lot of Gen Z people are like, get it. You know, life is unfair. So you might as well get that bag, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, frankly, we can get into the cultural reasons for why that really makes a lot of sense. But what's so crazy is no, Philip Morris International is not paying him. They do not pay any content creators or influencers in America. Um, and they do really? not. Why don't they? Can they? I mean, I think that part of the reason why they can't is because or choose not to is there are this whole history of tobacco laws and advertising laws about reaching youth. And I mean, I'm, I'm a kid of the 90s mm-hmm. and I remember when Joe Camel was taken down and when the Marlboro man had to retire off the Sunset Strip in L.A. I'd been seeing him my whole life and suddenly he had to be taken down. And it was because in the 90s, all these rules were passed that said, hey, advertising this pro- these products in ways that children can see, like on billboards on a highway or near a school or on TV shows that children can watch is really dangerous. It gets them addicted. Philip Morris International actually recognizes that if they were to pay a content creator on TikTok, they would be reaching a very young audience. Now, is there actually a rule against that now? Not that I can find. And mm-hmm. and, and that is because the rules as they apply to advertising don't really take into account how social media works. Um, Social media companies don't share the age of the audiences of influencers. Like this account, Freezer Tarps, across TikTok and Instagram, he had over a million followers. I could not get an answer from TikTok or Instagram about the age of those followers. In order for me to figure it out, I had to buy this third-party influencer marketing software that would analyze his follower count. And even that's an estimate. Right. They don't know. They don't know. Uh, We're talking about social media influencers peddling a new kind of nicotine delivery system. We're joined by Emily Dreyfus, co-author of the book Meme Wars, The Untold Story of the Online Battles Upending Democracy in America, also director of the News Lab at Harvard Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy. Short big essay in New York Times about this whole topic. What questions do you have about how influencers are marketing to children? More simply, have you ever heard of a Zen? Have you been marketed a Zen? Very curious to hear that from all of us. Uh, email forum at kqed.org. Find us on the social channels. Tap into the Discord or give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about social media influencers and the relationship with this particular nicotine product. It's a little pouch of nicotine powder called a Zin. 
talking with Emily Dreyfus, who wrote a big essay about this intersection for the New York Times. And we'd love to get your questions. You know, have you seen um, your children being marketed this kind of uh, this kind of product uh, on TikTok? Would you know? <laughs> um, the number is 866-733-6786. Maybe you yourself um, have found out about Zen and use it. You can email forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on all the social channels where we're KQED Forum. So I want to talk about some of the dynamics of social media influence and why, um, you know, Freezer Tarps, who's the guy we were talking about in the A seg, why he might promote Zinn, uh, even if Philip Morris isn't paying him. And, and it has to do with kind of the circuit of attention that's connecting all these people, right? It, it goes in both directions. Like, sure, he could help sell uh, Zinn, but also by talking about Zinn, he's connecting in a to to an audience that wants to wants that to be talked about, basically. Exactly right. Um, so there's there's a bunch of incentives for him to make this product more popular and to capitalize on its already existing organic popularity. One is that if he makes himself the go-to guy on the internet about this product, when people hear about it, they might Google him or they might go to his account and then on or on TikTok or, or Instagram. And from there, they can click on a link stack. And this is what was true until he was kicked off TikTok. That link stack would take people to a, a merchandise website where he was selling T-shirts, hats, sweatshirts with his own Zin memes and branding and pictures. Like boot, bootleg merch for Zin. Exactly. Which like, wow. you know, in uh, Philip Morris International, I asked them like, hey, are you OK with this? And they said they were going to ask their um, IP people to look at whether or not it was <laughs> sure they are. some yeah. kind of violation. But yeah. like, you know, so he was selling these T-shirts and sweatshirts for $55 a pop and, you know, must have been making bank on them because you see people wearing them on TikTok. Another reason for it is that if he can make himself the the pouch guy, the go-to pouch guy, then other pouch companies, of which there are tons of small startups, um, will make deals with him, actual sponsorship deals. So even though Philip Morris International might not make a deal with him because they're not comfortable with the fact that his audience might be too young or whatever, other people might be more comfortable with that. Um, and in fact, with his popularity becoming the guy who talked about Zinn, he actually then partnered with a small pouch startup based in the Bay Area to launch his own pouch uh, that he makes. That This one doesn't contain nicotine. It only has caffeine in it, but he can sell it to his same audience of people. Um, other things that he could do is just the fact that his hashtags then become super popular means that he becomes more popular. All of his content becomes more popular, which is then more mm -hmm. um, lucrative for him to any kind of sponsorship. Right. I mean, this is really these dynamics extend far beyond Zen, of course. I mean, this is something that you've written about. I mean, the the content topic, the thing that people are are talking about can be kind of anything. Right. Exactly. I mean, it can be a it can be a Trump meme. It can be a Biden meme. It can be a nicotine pouch and it can be, you know, uh, running or whatever. Right. Totally. It can I mean, be what, tiling your bathroom. Whatever hashtag is popular, brands or people or opportunists who are trying to make money will capitalize on it. Like on Mother's Day, you know, people will use the hashtag Mother's Day to sell you anything. And it is because they know that that will put it in the algorithm. Of I didn't other know you people. could buy moms these days. That's just, <laughs> how nice. How nice. Yeah, we are for sale. Oh, yeah. Um, I so one of the things I did want to talk about is that. This is, you know, people have been making arguments about, quote unquote, filter bubbles for a long time. Right. right. Eli Pariser comes up with this. And, um, you know, then there's been kind of a, 
a movement to sweep back through and say, well, maybe at least in an American political context, maybe it doesn't make sense to say this because people are exposed to other things. But in this particular world, particularly with this more like niche stuff, it, the, is, is a filter bubble a good way to describe what's happening here or how would you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think that filter bubble is not even a strong enough word for this. Um, it's, it's, it's literally a totally different world. I, in, in the um, process of writing my book, Meme Wars, I really needed to dive into what the far right young Internet was seeing. And, and <laughs> what I learned there is that there are, you know, the people in, in that book are living on totally different websites. On, when they're on the websites that I'm on, they're seeing completely different things. They're, they're getting a totally different message interpreting reality for them. They have a different media landscape, a different media appetite. They never see the things I see. Right. And this is exactly the same situation that I found for young people. So I really wanted to understand what is a young guy getting served to him on TikTok. And so that's why I really asked my neighbor, who is a young guy who is on TikTok, <laughs> if he would let me look at his TikTok account. Because, you know, there's this guy at um, Stanford, this PhD Professor Robert Jackler, he's been studying tobacco advertising for like 40 years. And in order for him to do this kind of research, he created a synthetic teenage boy on TikTok. And it's very, you know, technical and whatever. I didn't have the resources to do that. So I just used my neighbor, Ian. Um, (laughs) A real boy. A real boy. Um, And Ian would sit next to me and like, listen, we're in the same zip code. Our houses are literally next to each other. Um, And I would look at my TikTok and he would look at his TikTok and there was no overlap. And he was seeing products. He was seeing, you know, influencers talking about nicotine products, uh, talking about vaping products, talking about online gambling, talking about video game gambling, Mm. talking about porn and drinking. And like he is not the age to be buying or using any of those products and when i asked him you know hey are you did you go looking for this stuff like are do you smoke are you are you do you drink a lot like is that why you're getting it and no i mean i know him i've known him for years and he is a good kid and he doesn't <laughs> vape and he doesn't use nicotine his exact phrase which i really wanted the new york times to publish was like uh no nicotine is like for ninth and 10th graders <laughs> no which upset me a lot um what but here's the thing just oh, like we're man. side by side we're scrolling right. through the same website we're seeing absolutely different content. Um, And so, yeah, call it a filter bubble if you want, but it's so much more powerful than that. And it has Mm -hmm. to do not just with the way, like what people are seeking out. I think when it comes to filter bubbles, people think it's about um, like conforming to what you're looking for, like Mm -hmm. and what you're hoping for. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Ian has no interest in nicotine. He thinks it's lame. But he was getting Freezer Tarp's products, it's Freezer Tarp's videos in his feed all the time because TikTok's algorithm assumed that someone of his age who liked the other things that he liked would also like this. Mm. Gosh, and just the the uh, opaque nature of that as a parent thinking about your kids yeah. is, is something that actually is kind of terrifying, like the that analysis that you do um, in the essay is the kind of thing that makes you just be like, you know what, let's just move to Petaluma, get rid of our phones, uh, you know, start farming, you know, yeah. like, let's do it. Let's raise because it is it feels almost impossible. Like, it, how can one allow their child to have a phone and TikTok, but not have them go down this road? I mean, honestly, there there isn't a way. And I, I've been a 
technology journalist for 15, 20 years or something. I don't even know. Um, and I've the whole time been like, ooh, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, I kind of I don't want my kids to even watch YouTube. But but honestly, the process of reporting this story made me even more freaked out, but also made me extremely angry, <laughs> which is why I'm glad that they let me publish it in the opinion section, because all of the conversations around this are like parents need to monitor their kids better. Like, God, hey, parents, don't give them a phone. Or like if you let them be on the phone, then, you know, you should set up parental controls or you should be in their DMs monitoring it. And it's like, listen, folks, parents have it hard enough. We have to deal with paying the rent. We have to drive through the rain. We have to like navigate this modern hellscape ourselves, let alone handle the opaque nature of something that is honestly so complicated that even the people at the tech companies claim that it's not necessarily happening. Like, how can you expect parents to understand this nuance, this complication and spend their entire lives protecting their children? And like, that's, I guess, the thing that I really want people to understand. I'm not trying to scold and say like, hey, kids should never smoke cigarettes. Like, look, when I was in high school, I smoked Capri Slims. I had to convince people to from a guy at the Circle K to buy them for me. You know, it was like very embarrassing and old school. And but here's the thing. My mom could smell them on me. Mm-hmm. She, you know, the advertising about it was visible and seen. And then that is why regulators and the U.S. government in the 90s, when we used to be like, you know what? When there's a problem, we can fix it. We're America. Um, Like, passed laws about it. And they stopped allowing those things to be advertised on TV. And when I, like, put out, you know, absolute vodka ads on my wall as a teenager because I thought they were cool, like, my mom could see it and tear them down. And what our kids are seeing these days, we are not, we don't have any insight into. And the, you know, the impulse to, like, hey, let's move to Petaluma and drop out of society, I think is one that a lot of people are feeling. But I guess I've been thinking a lot about how, it seems like everyone has given up. Like the main point, the main thing I learned in this story is that regulators are overwhelmed. The tech companies are either overwhelmed or lying about what they know or, or just profit hungry. Like it's uh, unclear to me. Um, you know, when you do a story and it is Philip Morris International, who is the most transparent and helpful and saying like, hey, actually, we really wouldn't want to do that. And You know, we've actually sent letters to Tucker Carlson asking him to please stop talking so much about our product and making lies about it. You know, we're in trouble. Um, So I I, I just I guess my whole thing is I just hope that we could I'd love to hear from callers like what can we do? Because right now it feels like we understand that technology has created this danger for us, for our children, for everyone. And we feel completely unable to rein it in. Mm. And I guess my my hope is that we could admit like, hey, we made the Internet. We made social media and we also made our children and brought them into this world. (laughs) And I really don't think that it's okay for us to just be like, whoops, mess that one up. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Well, let, let us know out there. I mean, what do you think we can do? I mean, the number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org, all the social things, KQED forum. We'd love to hear from you. Um, let's go to um, Brock in San Francisco. Welcome, Brock. Hey there. Uh, great topic. I wanted to comment as a user of Swedish snus, which is essentially, you know, the speaker mentioned that Zen is modeled on and made by a Swedish company. Um, as a user of Swedish snus, I've lived in Sweden for a couple of years and um, it's probably the most used tobacco product there. Like mm-hmm. very few people smoke. And I would be interested in, you know, talking about the concern with the kids, like 
in a country where this is not a new or novel product in Sweden, um, has your has your speaker done any research on how they mm. how they address this in the youth population there? So, that's so interesting. You know, Brock. Um, while while we've got you, um, I am curious. I mean, when, when I was growing up, I was surrounded not by snus but by uh, chew or dip, um, as as it was yeah. known where I grew up. Um, and I I definitely tried it as a kid. Um, it would it, it was an intensely heady experience of nicotine um, to the point where, you know, a lot of kids, first time they try it, you know, they just throw up because they just was so, you know, made you so dizzy. Um, if you have done any of those other things, um, how does it compare? Like, what's it feel like? Yeah, for sure. I also had to lost my lunch experience in high school when I tried mm-hmm. Copenhagen for the first time. Yeah. So Swedish Snooze is a totally different uh, product. It's actually steam pasteurized where the American dip products are fermented, which causes a lot of the uh, carcinogens. And so the you can tell Swedish snus because it has to be um, refrigerated at the point of sale. And that's, you know, you don't see it a lot here. I actually order mine from Sweden every every few months. But um, yeah, and it's a totally different product like the Zen. You can just put the pouch up in your upper lip and it doesn't drip. You don't need to spit. It's not super gross. Um, mm. I grew up in North Carolina, so a lot of chewing tobacco and dip where yeah. I'm from too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Hey, uh, thanks, Brock. Thanks for um, just uh, filling in the lived experience there. That appreciate it, um, Emily. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, talk talk to me a little bit about uh, to actually answer Brock's question, which is um, just about you know kind of the Swedish experience of this product and perhaps like how it compares on a health level um, to other forms of tobacco or nicotine use. Uh, a couple other listeners just want to know, you know, how do the health risks of Zin compare to that of vapes? Will using Zin lead to nicotine addiction? Is it likely that Zin users will upgrade to things like vapes or cigarettes? So the research that I um, found in the course of doing this shows that, A, nicotine is addictive. Um, that That's the one, like, we can't be sure whether it's carcinogenic. There are some studies that suggest maybe it is, some studies that suggest it isn't. Um, there's definitely a whole meme and movement of people right now who are saying like, hey, nicotine is actually just a brain enhancer. And if we could just have a safe way to get nicotine, it would be great. And I'm not here to um, kind of say one way or the other about that. I don't think the science knows. And honestly, my story is much more interested in the harm of advertising than Mm. actually the harm of nicotine. Mm. But I want to point out that what nicotine absolutely is, and no one denies this, is addictive. And research into addiction shows that the younger you get addicted, the younger the brain gets addicted to anything, whether it is sugar or nicotine, the more likely you are to, A, remain addicted to it and also become um, susceptible to other addictions. So when it comes to a product like the Swedish snooze, I think, or or Zin or whatever, you know, there's a reason we have an age limit and it's not arbitrary. It's because teenage brains are not fully developed yet. And when a brain is actually still developing, that A level of chemical in it shows that it can change your brain chemistry. And then also getting yourself so um, dependent physically and emotionally on a chemical at such a young age really has impacts for later in life. And what research shows is that, yes, like if you're if you get addicted to cigarettes young, you're more likely to become addicted to other things, especially like with drinking. If you start if you start drinking younger, you're more likely to get addicted to and have a problem with drinking. Um, So for me, I guess I don't really 
I am not a scientist. And uh, the, the science about nicotine does say that, yes, nicotine itself does not appear to be anywhere close to as dangerous as the carcinogens that are in tobacco. But I guess the question I have is, or the, the point I want to make is that addiction itself is a problem. And we're in a media environment right now where we're giving our children and ourselves, frankly, uh, these devices that we are addicted to, mm. that we cannot stop looking at, that are then pushing these addictive products on us in a way that we as um, grownups are not trying to stop at all. So, mm. I mean, I'm not out here to shame people who use Zin. My, my best friend's husband is a Zin user in Montana. And if you Google uh, the where Zin is popular, Montana, for some reason, is the most popular mm. state of all. Um, so, you know, this is but for me, this is much more about we should have some control over how much this stuff is pushed on us. And we should be able to opt out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something, there's another element of, particularly for kids and particularly for people who are deep in influencer world, you know, the, people ha- develop what I think are now called on the internet parasocial relationships yes. with these people, right? They think that, which means they think the influencer is their friend. Yes. And all of the content is developed in that way. You know, you're kind of like the content is FaceTime looking straight down the barrel of the iPhone camera. Um, how much is that um, one of these kind of dangerous components of this advertising system that you're describing? It's a huge part of it because teenagers are skeptical of advertising. They don't want to be advertised to. And and, um, sociology research and studies into how children and, and teens view advertising is that they're like, hey, man, like, don't try to take one over on me. I don't want your product. <laughs> um, but when it comes to influencers, that doesn't look like advertising. It looks like a co- really cool dude. It looks like a really cool guy who's living the life that you want to live, talking about the thing that he loves in a way that feels organic. And I mean, frankly, just the way that it is designed, you're holding a phone in your hand and mm. a person is looking directly at you. Eye mm-hmm. contact. It's a one on. It seems like a one on one relationship. Yep. Yeah. We're talking about social media influencers marketing, what to do uh, with our children and how to understand what they're doing online. We're joined by Emily Dreyfus, director of the News Lab at Harvard University Shorenstein Center on Media Politics and Public Policy, wrote a book, uh, co-authored a book called Meme Wars, and we're talking about specifically her recent New York Times piece, Our Kids Are Living in a Different Digital World, about the online memeing around a product called Zin. Love to hear from you. What are you doing to try and keep this kind of marketing from influencing your children. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We'll get to more calls right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Emily Dreyfus about her recent New York Times essay, Our Kids Are Living in a Different Digital World, which is really about the way that social media influencers are talking about uh, a nicotine pouch product called Zin. Um, let's bring in um, Jeff in Petaluma, who's going to talk about what he's doing in his family. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. So I moved to Petaluma. We got five acres, sheep and chicken, and uh, it's living the dream, problem. Jeff. So, living the yeah, dream. Yeah, well, you know, we're we're trying. So um, I have a 14 year old daughter just started high school, got her first uh, smartphone, and the way that we dealt with it is, I just said, you know, you you are not going to have social media on your phone, and we took 15 minutes that it took to set up the parental controls. And I think that kind of framing it that parents have so little control, I think, is uh, doing a disservice to, you know, families. I mean, in my that's my experience. And if you have a, a situation with your kid where you can't set boundaries, then, you know, the problems are deeper than your phone, I think. Um, Jeff, this is interesting. Let me, um, you know, my kids are not of the age where they uh, have phones yet. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the question for me has been... Even with like an iPad to like listen to an audible book, right? Um, mm-hmm. The amount of conflict that gets introduced in in the in the inside the boundary, basically, right? Because kids will kids will slide right up to that boundary, and uh, next sure. thing you know, they're like drawing while they're listening to the book on the you know. There's there's this kind of slipperiness to that kind of boundary in in my parenting experience, and maybe I'm a bad parent. Um, jury's still out, but uh, but I just think like. If you introduce a boundary inside the the kid already having a smartphone, what are the conflicts that then arise there? You know, it just kind of the, the, the conflict moves. Well, you know, there are, you're right. I mean, even inside the boundaries, there are there is a slipperiness and there is room to move. But what we have found is we have set boundaries for the most egregious issues, which are, I yeah. think, social media um, platforms where they're advertised heavily to uh, platforms where we don't have any control over what they see. And, you know, mm-hmm. we all know what's out there. Um, but And so we kind of within those boundaries, we just sort of take the lumps. You know, mm-hmm. if they're using an app while they're listening to an audible book, I mean, it's just that's kind of part and parcel mm-hmm. with just the technological world we live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we don't I don't try to micro monitor every single thing they look at i just try to make sure that the the biggest offenders mm-hmm. are off and it's and it's it doesn't take very long to do but i think that what happens is we we like you pointed out are so addicted to our devices <laughs> right. we have to hold our kids to a standard that we cannot live so yeah. there's a constant uh. You know, judging of oh, but dad, you're on your phone. I learned it from watching you. Yeah, right. I learned it yeah. from watching you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. what do you do then? Oh man, hey Jeff, so. great, great call. Thank you uh, so much, um, Emily. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, yeah. you have you have younger kids as well, so we're sort of staring at the abyss that is ahead of us, or at least the several years of fights of saying no, you can't have a phone. No, you can't have a phone. Okay, you can have a phone, but no, you can't have TikTok. No, also you can't right. have YouTube. No, also you can't. You know. 
I mean, I think Jeff is doing 100% the right thing. And if every parent could do what Jeff is doing, then we the problem would be less terrible. <laughs> but I guess I I just think it's not realistic to think that every parent um, is is going to be as tuned in as Jeff is. Like, it sounds like he really understands and is taking care of it. And I really want to be that kind of parent, too, when my kids are that age. Um, but but I the reason why I think we need a more systemic solution to this problem and not just have it be individual parent by parent is for one of the reasons is what Jeff brings up is that we ourselves are so addicted to these products. Like in the course of reporting this, I tried to get rid of my smartphone because my kids who are eight and four are constantly being like, but mom, you're on your phone. Um, and then the day that this story published, I had this dumb phone that I was so proud that I had moved to. And I missed so many important emails and, and calls and, and communications that I need for my professional life. And the fact is, we have created a modern economy where adults need smartphones. Like, mm-hmm. especially I mean, in San Francisco, there's plenty of places you can't pay cash. Um, we're in a world where we've built this technology into the environment. And so then to ask our kids to not use it or to ask ourselves to not use it is, is um, it's just not that realistic. But then Here's the other thing. The slippery slope you're talking about, I love that, but it, it, I love the way you guys worded it because it's true and it's even more than that. You know, yes, social media is one of the biggest offenders, but the next story I want to write that is basically the same story as this mm-hmm. is not about social media. It's about video games. And mm-hmm. sure, there are a lot of parents who will also say, well, I do not let my kids play video games. Um, but the reason, the thing I'm going to highlight about video games is not the violence and the danger of that but or, or some of the other well-known risks. Um, but actually the fact that a lot of these video games are leading teenagers to gamble because they have hmm. uh, parts in them nowadays, which we can get into, but there's these little things called loot boxes oh, yeah. that are a, basically a gambling mechanism and they're a gateway. And what I found by talking to teenagers is that like they start using loot boxes, then they start selling what they get on third party websites, then they start gambling with crypto and like Honestly, Jeff's daughter might not be the target for that. Um, This is mostly a teenage boy phenomenon. Um, But... The point is that there's always something. There's always something, and and I think that what what we as a society used to believe that there should be some kind of social guardrails that apply to everyone to protect everyone equally, and not have it be that like you have to win the parent lottery and get lucky to have Jeff as your dad, um, and otherwise you're you're screwed. Yeah. Otherwise, you're getting me. No. <laughs> uh, I also, you know, one thing I think we, we both deeply agree on, um, you and me, is uh, YouTube. No oh. YouTube. No YouTube. That is that has actually been my my hard and and fast rule. And and despite that, and we're gonna go back to the phone in a second. But despite that, my kids still know all this YouTube stuff. YouTube only influencer content because of their friends. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's bring in Helena in Fremont. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So uh, I do have a question for the expert here. So how is your thinking to teams who need to use social media for the right purpose? Let me give you one example. My daughter is very good at social media and she's using it on an everyday basis. One reason is that she created her journalist club in high school starting in ninth grade. And she's responsible for publicizing the newspaper exactly. and the getting more engagement mm-hmm. from the school and the student and faculty. So I actually am happy to see she is really striving on that and using it for the right purpose. But in the meantime, you know, as a mom, I also worry about what if she's abusing it, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> spending tens of time on other websites, not necessarily for the 
quote, 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 work, right? Yeah. So what's your idea and your suggestion in that case? Thank oh, you. Gosh, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God. I know. We're all, we all are like, This yeah. is getting at something so important, um, you know, and, and I think this is, is what I was trying to say earlier. Like, we've made a world where social media, technology, and, and all the things that are embodied inside of a smartphone have become essential to our modern life. And, I mean, Alexis and I know this better than anyone as journalists, and it sounds like your daughter is an aspiring journalist, you know. The technology companies and the platform companies and social media itself have really changed the way, and that's a nice way to put it, journalism works and have kind of gutted the whole mm-hmm. way that we used to get our news delivered to listeners and readers. And social media became the arbiter and the delivery mechanism, which then made journalists have to become promoters of our own work, whereas we used to be able to just like go out in the street, interview people, write something, and then people would get it in a newspaper or on TV because we had a much more condensed media ecosystem and and journalists had much more control over who read what. But even student journalists these days have the pressure to promote their own school newspaper on social media. And the thing about social media and the internet at all is that it really is a Pandora's box. Like what you're what you're talking about is right. Your daughter might go on there to promote her school newspaper, and like I used to go on Twitter because <laughs> I needed to interact with people for news purposes. But what would end up happening is that I would also see, you know, memes something that were tr- that was annoying, exactly and that was funny, someone and being wrong on the internet, a loot box on Twitter, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, it really is. Um, the scale is way too big. The vo- it's a, it's it's a basically a void that cannot be measured. <laughs> um, and I guess that's why, in terms of solutions, yeah. we really need something that makes it so that we can't protect our kids from these products and these behaviors if we're also going to have a world in which these products and behaviors are essential for them to have a future. And it's it's interesting too because anyone who's trying to get information out about something or build a small business or um, you know just be 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 a part of the digital community that is layered over our you know our physical world, you kind of you have to build the distribution channel on these social media platforms, which means doing unrelated content creation to build that channel, right? I mean exactly, that's why like people are all doing using this stuff. Hashtag Zen because yeah. you know that it's popular. And can we just say one thing? Like this gets to I think a really important policy point, which is we're talking about how these platforms are the distribution methods for news, for information, for promotion. For the National Weather for Service. The National <laughs> Weather Service for, you know, for all all of the things, including, you know, student journalism. And yet legally in America, they are not treated that way. Um, and we have this law in the books that we don't have to get into, but it's called Section 230. Mm-hmm. And what it does is say that these companies are not in any way publishers. They're not in any way distributors. They're, they're only the tubes that people are putting information through. And we use to have a news and media ecosystem where you were both the publisher and the distributor of the information and then there were rules that applied like at my old magazine wired you can't we there were rules about tobacco advertising it wouldn't it wasn't allowed um and now because the tech platforms act as the distributor of what's published they do make decisions about what can be published in a way that appears you know Arbitrary even to those inside the companies when you ask them what the rules are, they're confused about them. Um, But our legal system shields them in a way that no other media distribution network has ever been shielded. Mm. Okay, soapbox Mm. off. 
No, I know. I like you starting a Section 230 fight, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I So here, there's a couple other comments um, that I want to get to. Um, ben on the Discord writes, I have a couple 26-year-old guy friends who use Zen because they claim one of its main benefits is that it boosts uh, testosterone, which kind of helps explain this I don't want to call it a detour in your story, but it is a it is a weird overlap and an unexpected overlap with Tucker Carlson, right? So um, Tucker Carlson leaves Fox News, pushed out of Fox News, and now is starting his own thing. And one of the things that he's doing is like constantly talking about Zen, right? We have a um, we have a, a cut of him. Let's, see, let's go to our second Tucker Carlson cut here, where he's talking about how he learned about Zen. A boy that one of my daughters was dating um, New Year's 2020 was at my house and he pulls this out. I'm like, what is that? He goes, it's the future. It's the future. It's a non-tobacco nicotine delivery device where you get all the whole grain goodness of nicotine, but none of the downside, none of the carcinogens. And I was like, I think I'm all in. So we drove to 7-Eleven and I stocked up. I get all the different flavors, coffee, they have a lot of intriguing flavors, I would say, but I stuck with Spearmint, and it's been a massive life enhancer. I'd really recommend it to you. It's it's just funny how like many people, like our audience and probably yours too, just will get behind you just because of that. <laughs> get behind you just because of that. I, I'm I'm the the overlap that's fascinating here is is Tucker Carlson using Zinn to get audience, or is he using Zinn to get? Uh, money, <laughs> you know, right. like what is what is the relationship between Tucker Carlson, these young podcast hosts that he's talking to and this, you know, nicotine pouch? I mean, we should say there is no evidence that nicotine boosts testosterone. <laughs> and yeah. if you've been on YouTube getting ads for how to you know, increase your testosterone intake this way, like, n no, please disregard. But. Uh, yeah, I did not expect to be texting back and forth with Tucker Carlson when I um, for this story, but I did. And here's the thing. I wish he had been on the record with everything that he told me because I could answer your question. Why is Tucker Carlson doing this? Mm -hmm. um, because he was pretty forthright with me, but then he it was all off the record, unfortunately. Um, so but what I can tell you is that uh, Philip Morris International is not paying Tucker Carlson. Um, and in fact, they're very adamant. They emailed me five times, I think, to make sure that I made it clear they're not paying Tucker Carlson and that his people have reached out to them seeking a sponsorship. So uh, but they were they rejected it. And in their rejection, they also asked him to please stop making claims about the benefits of nicotine, one of which, in addition to the testosterone stories that are going around, um, uh, Carlson said on a podcast that Zinn was so great it could actually cure erectile dysfunction. And this in particular made Philip Morris International very annoyed. And they wrote him a letter saying, uh, just FYI, it in no way does that. Um, but but why would he do it? A, he might have been, it seems like he was auditioning for sponsorship. You know, he's talking about it a lot. He thinks it's funny. He thinks it's cool. He thinks it's, and, and so do other people. You know, I mean, Freezer Tarps thinks it's cool. His audience thinks it's cool. And Tucker Carlson's launching a new media network yeah. so that is also I mean, these young people we're making this sound weird but people wear nikes without being paid by nikes and then post themselves wearing nikes looking cool well, you know and, right and i mean that's kind of it's a, it's a exactly and actually i want to be fair for a second here i have a brother who uh during the jewel 
phenomenon was a big Jewel promoter. He was like, oh, my God, I love Jewel. It's it's healthier and, and all these things. And he went all over um, Twitter at the time, which was the big social media platform then, and, and was just talking for free about how much he loved Jewel. And when my story came out, he was like, hey, sis, are you saying that my tweets should have been illegal? <laughs> like, should I go to prison? Um, and he, I mean, he was being hyperbolic. But like, the thing is that he wasn't monetizing that content in any way. Uh-huh. Whereas someone like Freezer Tarps is, is literally selling subscriptions to his websites. He's selling T-shirts with Tucker Carlson's face on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tucker Carlson is auditioning to get sponsorship from Philip Morris International and trying to get an audience of young people who will then be subscribers to his media network. Um, even if he might also just be someone who really likes nicotine a lot. Yeah. We're uh, going to be talking about some more of these issues on Thursday, by the way. People who are interested in this, we have Kyle Chaik on about his book, Filter World. And I also would, if you're interested in these, this exact kind of weird overlaps of this world, we also talked to Naomi Klein about her book, Doppelganger, which gets into a, a, the other part of this territory. Um, last question from listener, Auntie C on Discord writes, even if my family goes the limited technology route, quote unquote, there will still be parents who are going to give their kids uh, phones early on. What those kids see definitely gets passed on to other kids. Are there grassroots groups that voluntarily patrol social media for these influencer issues and then hopefully funnel information to politicians, uh, legislators? Uh, I mean, if you call uh, academic journalists, academic researchers and journalists grassroots, then yes, um, because as it stands, the people who are monitoring the Internet and bringing it to the attention of regulators and even the tech platforms themselves are journalists. We are the unpaid content moderators of the Internet, um, and there should be more. And I totally agree. I mean, my kid's eight and his best friend was just given a smartphone. Yeah. Yeah, we see it. And of course, then that's the cool thing, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Anna writes, you know, my daughter, my daughter lost her phone privileges for two weeks, but insisted she needed it for school. Mm. I contacted her math teacher and he confirmed they use their phones every day in class. This seems like an uphill battle. Uh, we've been talking about social media influencers, marketing, a tobacco product called uh, a nicotine product, excuse me, a product called Zin. We've been talking with Emily Dreyfus, who wrote an essay about all these things in The New York Times called Our Kids Are Living in a Different Digital World. Thank you so much again for joining us, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners who wrote in and called in. Um, great to be back with you after a week away, finishing books, sending it to an editor. <laughs> um, we are uh, going to be uh, back tomorrow. And stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.